The Athletic. Hello everyone and welcome to The View from the Lane. Um, I always say it's award winning and very soon now I'll be able to say it's uh, multi-award winning but I need your help from about that. More about that in a second. Tottenham Hotspur podcast from The Athletic. Uh, joining me, Danny Kelly, uh, for this session at Listener Q&A are The Athletic's Charlie Eccleshare and Jack Pitbrook. Morning everybody. Uh, on today's episode we'll discuss FFP, Jose Mourinho, um, lone players returning and much, much more. And before we begin today's show, these days, a twice weekly reminders to you that we are the defending champions at the Best Team Podcast at Sports Podcast Awards. Head to our Twitter page, you know the address, at VFTL Podcast, for all the details on how to vote. The vote closed on the 28th of January, so you've got about less than two weeks now. Think about it almost like a transfer window in which to corral, organize yourself and to corral friends, relatives and people who owe you a favor um, to get those votes in. Okay, we're going to start strong in our uh, Q&A. A question from Marcus on winning the league. Marcus Foo. Um, thank you, Marcus, for this. I look at you two and um, you're younger men than me, Charlie and Jack, and I wonder whether you'll ever see this glorious day. Uh, over what time horizon, says Marcus, can I expect to see Spurs win the league? It's impossible to say with any certainty, but I do think... The chances of anything happening increase the longer you, the longer the time horizon. Obviously, so there's no point in saying it's likelier that Spur. It's likelier on a tw- twenty-year view than a ten-year view because that's obvious. Is that technically true? Surely that's true. No, uh, I think mathematicians will say. Let's say um, for for a long period of time there hadn't been a penalty in the FA Cup final, and everyone said, "Well, we'll do one this year," and scientists will point out, "No." That just rolls over each year. No, I'm not saying that's about the specific in a, within a specific FA Cup final. I'm saying that on a ten year view, you've got more space in which unlikely events might occur. But anyway, putting that to one side, that was just an intro sentence, Danny. To that was an intro to saying there are structural reasons for thinking that Tottenham's chances will improve. The first one of those is the fact that they are a stable Premier League club with stable ownership at the moment. They are in London, which gives you a huge financial advantage when it comes to new external investment, when it comes to match day revenue, attracting players, obviously. The stadium sets Tottenham up for 100 years, I think, in terms of constant flow of match day revenue, um, non-match day revenue like you know Beyonce etc. Um, and that's not going. <laughs> that stadium is not going anywhere. And the benefits that that stadium has over Stamford Bridge, the Emirates etc. will continue to bear fruit every year. Those returns are not going to diminish. I don't think. And and you know it's not like Chelsea are going to build a new stadium anytime soon, is it? So on those points, it's you know clearly Tottenham have an advantage, and I think that advantage will increase over time. Tottenham's position will get stronger. The third point, and this is something that we'll probably come to in more detail later, is that if we are now entering an era of financial regulation in football, 
And it feels like this season is the first time in, I think, in our, in our lifetimes that Premier League spending has been regulated. Then teams who operate within the rules are in a relatively stronger position. So, and look, we don't know whether or not these these regulations are going to stick. I don't want to get too much into the weeds on this now because we will come on back onto it later. But I do think the overall picture for Tottenham is going to look brighter. Not, I mean, are they going to win in the next five years? Probably not, because I think I think Manchester United are going to get are going to get better under the new ownership. I think City are not. I mean, City have got this huge case hanging over them, but they're still going to be very good on the pitch. I think at least until that's resolved. Um, Arsenal, I think, are generally improving, even though they're having a bit of a blip this year. But let's say over their 10-year view, for example, I think that things become a bit rosier. I struggle to put a percentage chance on Tottenham's likelihood of winning the league within 10 years, maybe 30%. But then if you expand out to 20 years, what's the chance of Tottenham winning the league in the next 20 years? I'd say 50%. Yeah, 20 years was what the sort of figure that came to my mind. Though I would say, I think so much of this is about Pep Guardiola, because I think... City's dominance is getting to the point now that we've seen in other countries. There's no getting away from that. This year would be, I think, six out of seven, something like that, which is crazy, really. You know, and and four in a row. That's obviously never happened in the Premier League um, before. But I think so much of that is down to Guardiola. I don't, you know, when Bayern Munich or PSG or Juve were dominating especially buying, uh, well, actually all those clubs, they could do it with managers who the fans hated, who weren't thought was very good, who were kind of av- you know, average in the sort of talking about elite manager sort of sphere. They can afford managers who it doesn't really work out. They still win the league. That's not going to happen with City. When Pep goes, I think there is going to be a bit of a vacuum and it's gonna, that's going to be such an interesting period because everyone is going to be like, finally, this is our opportunity. This is what we've been waiting for. They'll surely have to have a little. They'll have a little bit of a drop off when they don't have the best manager of his generation. Some would say of all time, and so as to whether you know that will present an opportunity, and then it's kind of where are Spurs at that moment? You know, are, if they're where they are now or similar sort of level, you think okay, there's a big opportunity. If that coincides with where Spurs were for the previous four years leading up to this point. Uh, then it doesn't matter who's managing Man City because there are still going to be tons of teams finishing above them. Uh, but I do think that will present an opportunity. And then zooming out further, I mean, tw- yeah, 20 years was the figure that came to mind, but it, that is more hypothetical. That's more just a long period of time in which so much could happen that we have no idea. But yeah, Pep, the Pep leaving is, the, is, is a big, uh, I think will be uh, a big turning point. I don't. I don't know. I think English football is so competitive. I take your point about uh, about Pep Guardiola, um, because you know, coaching as we're going to see with Jose Mourinho, it changes, doesn't it? And even the genius of ten years ago, things change. They become uh, uh, a diminishing asset to football clubs. Guardiola, of course, shows no sign of that, which is one of his great geniuses, and it was what Ferguson did as well, wasn't he? He appeared to be the same all the time while constantly reinventing the team. Okay, um, t- similar, this takes us on to the next question, which I think is um, linked very well. Uh, Owen Bailey says, is it possible that Levy is going to be rebranded as the perfect owner in a couple of years when half the league has been punished for financial regularities? Feels like we're moving into a football landscape where he can thrive. Jack, you wrote, you've written a piece about this, about how Spurs may, by design or luck, have suddenly found themselves in a sweet spot. 
Yeah, so this is a piece that we published this morning on The Athletic. Basically, no one is making the case for the profit and sustainability rules, and certainly not for the silent majority of clubs who are actually following those rules. Um, and look, there's lots of clubs you could look at in these in this instance, but I actually think Tottenham are a perfect example because Tottenham stay well within the rules. Um, you know, we don't know what they've submitted to the Premier League because we're still waiting on their 2022-23 accounts, which we should get in probably the next month or so. Um, but everyone knows that, you know, Tottenham's percentage of salaries to to turnover is the lowest in the league. They've been the most profitable on a 10-year view. They've been the most profitable club in the Premier League. Um, and they they spend within they spend within what they bring in. Um and this is, you know, this kind of model, this self-sustaining model that, that Tottenham have is precisely the kind of model that has been overtaken a lot in the last 20 years as, you know, whether that's Chelsea and Abramovich or Manchester City and Abu Dhabi or PSG and Qatar or just teams chancing their luck a bit who maybe don't have quite as much money in the bank as, as they need. But if, and this is what the point we touched on at the start, if the landscape is changing, if the PSR does have teeth and teams do have to stick within this £105 million of losses over a, th- over a three-year spell, then it's a different game. It's a, it's a completely different game. And if teams are have to stand and fall by the revenues that they bring in themselves, and they can't just go to the benefactor for an extra billion quid every now and then, then the team, you know, Having a stadium which brings in, I mean, last season the Tottenham were second in match day revenue behind Manchester United for 22 23. I think it's very plausible they'll be top in terms of match day revenue in the country. And in in this environment, Tottenham are clearly in a stronger position. Commercial revenue is going up as well. They're in a position where they can compete financially and they can stand or fall by, the, by their revenue and by the quality of their own decisions. And this is, I mean, look, it's no. It's no secret that Daniel Levy is a big fan of the regulations. He has spoken about them when the accounts came out last year. He spoke about regulations of the Cambridge Union, not just the Premier League PSR, but also UEFA's new, hopefully beefed up, sustainability rules. And so, look, if we are now in an era where this stuff is going to be regulated, then clearly Tottenham are in a stronger position. By design, Charlie, or by luck? You'd have to say by design. I mean, this is, this is something... I think Levy's almost been criticised for it previously, hasn't it? That he's had too much faith in the extent to which the these rules and regulations are going to matter. So I don't, I don't think you can then turn around and say, oh, well, you've just got lucky. I mean, this is you know this has been part of the strategy. I mean, I do think, like, casting your mind back 20 years, it's... Uh, and this is why it's surprised, you know, with Newcastle when... I mean, obviously, most of it was coming from the Newcastle end, and Jack touches on this in his piece, but... You know, this sort of like, oh, woe is us. You know, we, we can't do what we want to do. This is a club that have still spent a huge amount of money and went from in the space of a season and a half fighting relegation to qualifying for the Champions League. So it's not like, oh, uh, you know, it's it's impossible to have any mobility. We can't spend any money. That's not what's happened. And I just think like compared to 20 years ago where Abramovich came in with Chelsea, what that spending looked like. I mean, and for a number of years as well, it was absolutely crazy what they were doing. It's rare in football, very rare, that you think something's improved when it comes to kind of money and how much can be spent and that sort of thing, because it has become more of a closed shop in those last 20 years. But this is one area in which I do think 
things are a lot better. That you can't, you know, Newcastle is quite a good test case in a way. You know that you can still come in and spend a lot of money. No one's saying you can't do that, but there are some limits and controls on it, and that that has to be a good thing. This is a, another question, um, and this one is from Charlie Eccleshare. And Charlie, I really resent you for this because it's caused me. So I have to put on a, heart, a, a blood pressure monitor when I saw this question. I've had enough of this already this season. Eccleshare says, if hypothetically, out of Vicario, Madison and Son, one had to be out for the rest of the season, one could only play half the remaining games, and one is guaranteed to play every game, who are you selecting for each of those? The fact is, we've seen Tottenham play without Madison for the last two months, and it's not been great, but they've just about muddled through. and. I feel ridiculous for saying this because I'm James Madison's number one fan. But that's made me think that Madison is the guy who doesn't play and that Son and Vicario are more important than Madison. So I'd say Madison stay out for the rest of the season. And then down to Son and Vicario, it's difficult in theory because, I mean, in theory, you don't want your keeper changing half the games, do you? But, you know, we're living in this, you know, the fantasy world created by the question. So I'm going to say keep Son. Son plays all the games. Vicario plays half the games. And you just... I know, obviously, it's not ideal, but... I, um, and then Madison plays no games. See, there, you can rely on Jack there. He's an emotional guy like everybody else, but he can bring the laser of logic to things when he wants to. And all of that has calmed my, my soul somewhat because it makes sense. Is that the way you'd go as well, Charlie? Yeah, maybe. I, I would be tempt like having a guarantee of madison like he's he was so exciting and in not playing that almost like boosts him more because the idea of him being there is just like the thought of spurs haven't quite clicked in an attacking sense but bring him back and all of a sudden it really would um vicario vicario is a tricky one because the drop off from him to his replacement is bigger than either Madison or Son, I would say. Um, the idea of Fraser Forster trying to play this football, I think would make you very, very nervous, um, which is why he probably can't be the out for the rest of the season. And then, yeah, I guess I guess Madison and Son, I would keep Son. And then out of, and then out of Vicario and Son, though, I, I do think that is tricky because to be... If Spurs are guaranteed to have Vicario for the whole rest of the season, and in theory, you know, now they're back, their defence is back, you think how good Vicario's been and how good most of those defenders have been, that would give them a really solid platform that even with Son only playing half the games, you'd still back them to win a lot of games. I think I probably would I probably would go the same as Jack, just because Son has been such a guarantee of goals, and that is so important. But I would feel nervous about Forster playing half the matches between now and the end of the season I'm not going to lie it'd be good if you could choose which matches he played yeah. yeah 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 I'll check with my hypothetical self what's interesting to me about the question was that I immediately thought about what the three players Vicario, Madison and Son bring to the team in terms of character um, they are in their different ways incredibly important to the the character of the of the team, the outlook of the team. The background to that question is that Romero and Van de Ven are obviously going to be fit for the rest of the season, unsuspended, um, and that to me means you have that these things. Even the loss of Vicario, 
can be compensated for if their Spurs have that back four. Um, that, that's what, at the moment, the team revolves around, in my none-too-humble opinion. Charlie, I'm, I'm only being mock-angry with you. Of course, it's a very a very <laughs> good question um, and shows uh, perhaps the background of somebody who might have been on University Challenge in, during their lifetime. My mum was, not me. Your mum was. You see, you seem exactly the sort to me. I know. I didn't. I didn't go for it. I, too much pressure with with my mum. We failed the screen test to get on university. What Challenge. really? Not enough banter. Yeah. <laughs> Do you like Formula One but struggle to keep up with everything that's going on? Then we have the podcast for you. Introducing the Race F1 Briefing the podcast that brings you the latest F1 headlines in 15 minutes or less. With new episodes dropping on all four days of every race event, you'll never miss out on hearing what went down in practice, qualifying or the Grand Prix itself. And we'll also bring you all the behind the scenes news and gossip from the F1 paddock as well. If that sounds like the F1 podcast for you, search The Race F1 Briefing in your podcast app of choice. We'd love to have you join us. Yeah, welcome back to The View from the Lane. I'm Danny Kelly. Jack Pitbrook and Charlie Eckershare are with me. Um, Jose Mourinho, once beloved at Roma, trophy winning at Roma, um, has done his usual trick and got himself sacked two and a half years into into the middle of the third season. He's now been sacked by four clubs in a row. Um, anybody want to lead the revisionism of his time at Spurs? Charlie? I don't think it, like his Spurs period we've you know we've talked about at length. I think most people are pretty in agreement there. Um, but I do think it's interesting with him now. It's twenty years since he arrived in English football, and I, I was I was thinking about this because a lot of our listeners probably you know either weren't alive or weren't watching football kind of during that period, and might not be aware of just like how good he was and how much of a force of nature he was. I mean, obviously. I guess he's kind of had the three acts, the one where he was the young upstart and he was dominating, then that kind of middle period where he was still quite good. But, you know, like when he won the league with Chelsea in 2015, which is his last league title almost a decade ago, and then kind of the latter era, era him where he seemed a bit off the pace and kind of was bitter and berating refs and all of this sort of thing. But... Miguel Delaney did a really interesting piece on this in The Independent a few years ago on kind of looking at managers' general shelf lives in, in inverted commas. Um, and it tends to follow a really pattern of how long you can be kind of at the top. I think Miguel, it was something like 12 years is generally how long managers can last at the elite level. And you mentioned Sir Alex Ferguson earlier and I was talking about Pep Guardiola. Those two are exceptions uh, because... They, they, and they constantly reinvented themselves. I think the problem with Mourinho, and we saw this a bit with Arsene Wenger, was that they didn't reinvent themselves, uh, and which is really understandable because it must be very confusing. Why aren't my methods that worked so incredibly well working anymore? I'm not the problem. They're the problem. You know, this used to work for me before. Why then it work anymore? And I think broadly, what will separate Mourinho from Guardiola and and, and Ferguson? is that they were able to do that in a way that he wasn't. And so we are witnessing this quite sad, or some people will be gleeful about it um, from a kind of schadenfreude point of view, 
decline um and he does just now feel a bit out of step and what what i'm really interested in and i'd be curious to get your guys take on this is a where he will go next and where he should go next i think that he i it's weird like i think what he's done at roma doesn't really teach us anything new like it's it's followed such a predictable pattern like he's been i think from the kind of political side of it he is still a genius you know he was the hero to roma fans he's so good at at saying the right things. He he clearly can't get a team playing to a high standard week in, week out. I think his football and his his methods have been totally overtaken by by rival coaches. I think I think obviously clearly the Europa Conference League go gets him a long way. I think he can sell that as a success. You know, if Spurs won the League Cup, then I'm sure he would have sold his time at Spurs as a huge success as well. Um I don't think look, there's I think the 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 era of appointing Mourinho so that you can compete to a high level week in week out in the league I mean that's been that's clearly been done for about 10 years now um but I don't what I don't know is will a team take a punt on him because they just want a sort of figurehead because that's really what he offers you now is being that being that figurehead I I wouldn't be shocked to see him back in the Premier League because of the type of people who make these decisions within Premier League clubs uh if he does come back the, I guess like the one glimmer of hope I would have about Mourinho's next job is I think so much of why it went so badly wrong at Tottenham was down to the fact he had a really bad backroom staff. You know, the backroom staff didn't help him at all. The methods were, you know, they didn't interact well with the players. The methods were were, were not effective. And we, we've seen an example of Ferguson, an old, manag- an old manager with progressive young staff can kind of, can appear fresh, can can kind of buck the trend but and if maybe if Mourinho does come back with better backroom staff then he might be able to do that but it's um it uh, feels like a bit of a long shot I would love to see him at a world cup the kind of the high stakes eyes of the world on him um sort of you know press conferences poured over all this kind of stuff that you get at a world cup I would love to see Mourinho in that environment because it is you know it it is just another level from from club football and he's shown he can still do it in these knockout tournaments exactly it's just pure one-off games you know it's not about it's not about being a consistent team week in week out um low knees returning we can now add the names of Jafet Tanganga close we understand to returning Spurs having played precisely zero minutes for Augsburg in his loan spell, and Alfie Devine, bless him, um, has officially been recalled from his loan at Port Vale. And Jack is now going with Plymouth Argyle. So this is a you know fairly common situation where a player does well at one level. In this case, League One, um, parent club wants to push him on a little bit, so he's been brought back and is now being sent out to Plymouth in the Championship who have just appointed Ian Foster as manager, um, who worked with Stephen Gerrard at El Etifak, but before then was in England, you know, worked with the England age group teams and wants to get young English players into Plymouth, hence Phillips as well. Um, and so that, I'm you know, looking forward to see how Divine does in the championship over the second half of the season. But it is, I mean, I know, as Jack says, it's a co- it's something that happens a lot, but um, it, Divine was going well at Port Vale, you know, one of the very few Spurs loans in the first half of the season. But so it was an outlier in that respect. So uh, I get the logic, but you just hope that it doesn't backfire because that would be incredibly frustrating when he is getting a lot of minutes and, and doing well. Charlie, um, I'm no doctor, as I like to make sure everyone understands. I have no formal medical qualifications whatsoever. 
Um, but I did flag up a few weeks ago the hamstring injury issue at Spurs, um, which um, younger colleagues told me to calm down that it was probably um, a coincidence. It's not a coincidence, is it? And you've now written a piece about how right I was. I think it's cool. And Danny was right. <laughs> yeah, that, that is the thrust of the piece. Yeah, I mean, clearly this isn't a uh, coincidence. It's eerily similar to what happened in his first season uh, at Celtic. Yeah, you know, the numbers are laid out in the piece. Spurs are having a lot of hamstring injuries. I think only Palace have had more than them this season. Um, I, you know, l- last week at the press conference, you know, because I was already thinking about this piece. And then last week at the press conference, um, Postacoglu confirmed that Davis would be out for about a month with a hamstring injury. But yeah, and, and Postacoglu doesn't shy away from it. You know, I asked him about it in that Friday press conference and he repeated what he said at Celtic that this is the way we play this is going to happen uh, I think the worry if there is one is that and, and for the piece I spoke to lots of people who work in this kind of area to try and understand why players might be at risk I mean what's interesting is there's a general trend often with a new manager you do get more injuries obviously not to this scale necessarily but because the body you know bodies are players are adapting and especially if you go from uh, a manager with a very different way of playing, like Spurs are playing under Conte. Something actually that I sort of revisited with this, I remember when Spurs lost to Brentford at the back end of last season, Ryan Mason said after the game, basically, yeah, we tried to play a certain way, a way that actually now is quite like how Postacoglu played, but we just couldn't. We fell off a cliff physically in the second half because we're so not used to doing it which kind of shows you how big a job Postacoglu had to get the team playing a completely different way. And obviously, in so doing, uh, that puts a huge amount of demands on the players. And while they get used to it, hamstrings are getting stressed. They're getting a lot of injuries. At Celtic, things did ease. So that's what he very much believes will happen at Spurs. Um, And, you know, there there are precedents for this. At Liverpool, under Klopp, they were similar. The practical side of what you're saying, theoretically, is watching Spurs' defenders sprinting back from the halfway line for the ball over the top, for instance, which caused Van de Ven's injury. Um, And Michael Cox's piece in The Athletic um, about the tactics that Spurs... It was about Oliver Skip at at Old Trafford, the runs he was making. Um, It was absolutely amazing analysis of the way United's team was being pulled about by, in in particular, Skip, um, without him ever touching the ball. But it caused me to go and watch the game a, a second time to, to off the back of that analysis, which is why I thought it was so brilliant. Um, and the, the sprinting that was being required of Oliver Skip was extraordinary. Now, Hoiberg, I think, probably never could make those kind of bursts, but it really must be a, a, a strain on that particular muscle, you know. Um, so you're expecting, Charlie, that this, as the players adapt, um, that this will change and ease that's the theory though one um sort of wrinkle in that is that with obviously Postacoglu, you know whether that works in the premier league in the same way it is more intense and and i look at the piece a couple of interesting precedents one is klopp at liverpool you remember his first season and a half really was constant discussions about was he working the players too hard they were there were loads of muscular injuries bielsa at Leeds, but obviously klopp things did work out bielsa at Leeds. They never did. The injuries were extraordinary. I was looking at some of the numbers um, and they really were. Basically, every player was affected, which is kind of a cautionary tale. Postacoglu is not as extreme as Bielsa, but he is he, he's as uncompromising 
uh, and believes in his methods as much. He's saying he's not going to change them just because of a few injuries. And there is a risk of re-injury that, you know, everyone I spoke to who worked in this kind of area, sports science, medical said like a mantra, the biggest predictor of future injury is previous injury, basically. And Van der Ven and Romero have both had hamstring injuries previously. So we, we're seeing that play out now. So that would be the worry. Postacoglu is confident um, and his personal history suggests things will be okay. So yeah, it'll be, it'll be interesting, but it's... Um, it's it's definitely a trend across the board as well. There are more hamstring injuries, but Spurs are you know even within that right at the top. Yeah, and Charlie's piece about hamstrings is uh, will be on the Athletic on Thursday morning. Read it then. Here we go, David Harris. Was Conte right all along? Established stars moved on, coaches backed thus far, and new infrastructure in place. See how I read those as neutrally as I could. All things were part of his famous rant. Jack, was Antonio Conte right all along? I think part of what he said in the infamous rant was right. You know, when he said, we're 11 players that go into the pitch, I see selfish players, players that don't want to help each other, don't put their heart into it. This season compared to last season, we are worse in this aspect. When you are not a team, you cannot improve. That is an incredibly accurate analysis of how bad Tottenham were last season under Antonio Conte, where I disagree with Conte's rant was his insistence that none of this was his fault and there was nothing he could do to fix the situation. Now, you know, and famously when when it was put to him by Dan Kilpatrick of the Evening Standard that his contract situation was uh, contributing to the problems on the pitch, Conte said this was a, quote, alibi for the players. I think he was half right, although even... Insofar as I think he was right, he obviously shouldn't have said it. You know, managers aren't paid to analyse what's going wrong at their teams in public. Far from it. You know, part a big part of the job is to deflect the blame and, you know, put on a brave face in post-match press conferences while keeping your analysis in-house. So, um, yeah, half right, but shouldn't have said it. Charlie, was uh, Antonio Conte right all along, as, as, as Harris puts it? I think Conte's period at Spurs is really interesting um what what I think it shows is I think how much personality matters and perception matters because Conte I you know I've hinted at this a few times I don't think he results wise and even performance wise for a decent chunk of when he was there really wasn't that bad um and I think and even what I think is really interesting with Conte how, you know, the absolute prevailing narrative of his time there is it was boring, it was so dull, the football was awful, da-da-da-da-da. There were loads of goals in his games, you know, loads of goals, both for and against. And last season, no team had more goals in their games than Spurs. I think the fact that he's Italian didn't help him. I genuinely believe that. I think there's a perception of Italian managers that they are boring and that they just defend, defend, defend. I think the fact that he plays a three-at-the-back wing-back system doesn't help him because there's a perception in this country that it's a defensive system, which isn't true. And that was something he actually alluded to. Um, And I think, you know, Postacoglu shows... He came. I think there are misconceptions about Postacoglu because of his nationality as well. People think of him as this like friendly, I'm your mate Aussie. It's just not the case. He he's he's tough. He's really tough. And yeah, he's funny. There's a slight misunderstanding about him as well. But what I think Conte 
never managed to do. Conte, because it felt like it was punching up, that was the crucial thing. Conte made it very clear straight away that he felt like Spurs was beneath him, etc., etc. He became an easy target. I think had he had everything been the same about Conte Spurs, but he had a personality people liked, his view his reign would be viewed completely differently. And where Conte was wrong, absolutely, was on that thing about the players, because, you know, saying that they were basically unmanageable, that's been proven to be absolute nonsense. Saar, Porro, Basuma, Son, all players have improved in, in three months of a different manager. Um, you could probably name me three more. I'm doing it again. My voice is rising. Stop. Calm down, Danny. It doesn't matter. He's gone. So, David, if, if what's behind your question is that you thought he was okay, that's fine too. We're here to disagree. Let's end on a positive. Another question from Twitter. I don't, this one it seems to be unattributed. Um, and uh, it's a question we've asked each other uh, before on the podcast. I make no um, apologies for returning to our greatest hits. If you could choose one Premier League player, a Spurs player from the Premier League era, to add to the current fully fit squad, who would it be, Charlie? Uh, I mean, well, Harry Kane. (laughs) 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 It feels a bit boring. Um, I mean, Gareth Bale, I'd be very tempted by to play. I mean, imagine him out on the right wing, just absolutely tearing it up how you know sort of 2013 Gareth Bale um I mean Moussa Dembele obviously is a is a is a tempting one as well but uh given how good Bentoncourt potentially is in that six role and they've got Basuma I'll go Bale I think Bale would give them uh, he, he'd transform them I, th- I think they could win the league with Bale I think even this season I think they could make up the gap I mean my kind of head says Kane but my heart says Bale but I'd be fascinated to see Bale, but it just feels like a bit of a... I don't know. I'd, I'm not sure it would actually work in practice quite as well as we might think. I mean, Bale's kind of from a different era. You know, that was the... Premier League was far more individualised when Bale was good, and he was a bit of a one-man team. And I think what Postacoglu's asking them to do is actually a lot more modern and synchronised, and, you know, you have to fit... You have to fit into a system, basically... Uh, you know, particularly when it comes to off the ball, Bale's never really pressed in his life. So, but he can run. Well, I mean, he can run insofar as he doesn't have to do any defending. If he actually had to do it, if he actually had to do all the pressing, could he run? Could he run as well when he has the ball? Probably not. Um, so, I think in practice, Bale wouldn't actually be as good. It is very, very boring to say Harry Kane. I would love to see like proper like 2015, 2016 Kane. You know, like pressing, running Kane. Um, in this team with Son on the left. My non-boring answer is probably Luka Modric, just because I would love to see Modric and Madison in midfield. The way they play, like this kind of high volume of possession, you know, dominating the ball in the middle of the pitch, trying to create, you know, trying to create a high volume of chances um, with, you know, the fullbacks and the, the the inverted fullbacks underlapping and, and the front three running in behind. I just think someone like, I mean, Madison's a genius, but Modric is, is another level. So I would, I, I'm kind of torn between the boring answer of Kane or the slightly less boring answer of Modric. Yeah, I would have, I would have gone Modric as well, just because, but perhaps not in the Madison position, perhaps could he do the one taking the ball off the goalkeeper? That would be really Half good. turning into the, into the midfield because he's passing what about the range of it? Um, his passing is so accurate. Perhaps that would be an advantage as well. 
Um, and that's just about that. Not because we didn't have even more great questions, and thank you for those, but because we have to go. Um, remind you once again that the show has its own official home at uh, on Twitter at VFTL Podcast, and you can email us as many people did their questions VFTL at theathletic.com. And you can sign up uh, to The Athletic at the moment with our latest offer of just one ninety nine a month for 12 months. Just go to theathletic.com forward slash Spurs pod in order to subscribe. We'll see you again soon. Thank you, Jack. Thank you, Charlie. Thank you all for listening. Bless you and bye. The Athletic. <laughs>